0: Today is Friday, August seventh, two thousand twenty, and this is episode forty-two of *A House Divided*. My name is Nick Samarco. I'm Matt Lewis. I'm Ben Holman. Today we will be discussing the best case for Trump. I think anybody that listens to this podcast knows that we are not the biggest fans of Trump or the administration, and uh, also knows that it, it he's going to have to move mountains to get us to vote for him in November, but. We, we we don't want to give short shrift to, you know, our fellow fellow travelers that may be voting for the president. So in our minds, we are going to be constructing the best case for the president and uh, ultimately debating whether or not that case has any merit. Second, we have an exclusive interview with senior contributor to The Daily Beast and CNN political senior contributor, columnist. S- senior columnist to The Daily Beast Thank you, Matt. <laughs> and CNN political contributor Matt Lewis. Yes, same exact spelling as the Matt Lewis on this show. My doppelganger. We mm, don't look anything no. alike,
1: but we have no, the exact same name. So
0: that is an incorrect usage of that term. Yes, I'm <laughs> you have the same name. I'm, <laughs> I'm a master of the English language. <laughs> You're a wordsmith, unparalleled. Exactly. And finally, uh, I'm going to ask uh, Ben and Matt a singular question about the possibility of mail-in voting in the fall. Will we have? Uh, a, a victor of the presidential election on election night or into the morning itself. Um, my answer is probably not, and stay tuned to hear why. But first, Matt, where can people follow us on social media?
1: You can follow a house divided on Instagram and Twitter at ahdpod. You can follow myself on Twitter at matt t r You can follow Nick on Twitter at nick samarco s a m m a r c o. Follow Ben on Twitter at Benedict. Lucius, I'll have him spell that in one second, and make sure to follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever the hell else you get podcasts that isn't SoundCloud because SoundCloud sucks. Uh, you have to upload it separately; it's just a hassle. So we're not doing it. SoundCloud
0: is for mumble it's rappers. It's for mumble too, rappers. So.
1: You
2: know, it's a it's an inferior <laughs> platform. So uh, Ben, how so do you spell your Twitter? <laughs> my, so my Twitter handle is Benedict, as in Benedict Cumberbatch or Arnold, which. I'm trying to reclaim the name here. Uh, and so it's Benedict Lucius. Lucius goes L-U-C-I-U-S. So Wonderful. please follow us all. We appreciate it. Give us attention. It's a
0: regal name, Ben, and I, I, I really like it. Um, the fact that you were able to get that handle is, is actually kind of remarkable, too, because I feel like some troll living in his basement that, you know, like alt-right troll would pick those two names as his screen name to feel high and mighty. So congratulations to you.
1: Well, uh, I, mean, I wish ch- I was able to get my name on Twitter, but uh, you know, Matt you, you Lewis know, is, is know, a it's very common it, name. It,
2: it's, it's certainly a handle that over time can become quite uh, infamous. You know, yeah. So, fun fact: I had to add it, my, it has that.
1: I had to add <laughs> my confirmation name initial to my as a second middle initial just to get a a proper Twitter handle. So the,
0: the props of having a unique name is that nobody else has it. Exactly. So yeah, <laughs> I can't relate. Yeah. Um, well. Thank God for Italy and St. Mark. Let's roll into the first topic here, gentlemen. Uh, it, this, this is kind of foreshadowing a column that's going to be up, hopefully, by the time uh, you're listening to this podcast sometime Friday, uh, this Friday afternoon, or maybe into the weekend, depending on how much time I spend on it. <laughs> um, I, I've I've heard, look, I'm not voting for Trump. I think it's, uh, I, I know Matt, it, right at this point, isn't voting for Trump. Ben is most certainly not voting for Trump. And I think that the, there's a There is no real positive case to vote for for Donald Trump. But I do think that there is a case to be made for voting Trump that is a negative case against Trump. And that has to do with Joe Biden. And I'll get into that case a little bit. But I want to ask you first, Ben, you're the most, uh, I'd say, uh, fervently um, anti-Trump in the way that you see the president. Uh, and that's, you know, uh, about a millimeter away from me. So we're pretty close, but I think you're still a little bit over the edge, um, uh, compared to me has, you have the edge over me. What is the best case for Trump in your mind? Um, go ahead.
2: So, so I think we can run down a couple of the arguments that are being made out there and sort of first check for validity, I'd say. Um, of course the number one, um, uh, issue that that's been discussed as sort of uh a net positive for trump has been the economy now um some of that is is true of course i mean we we have had deregulation and 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 also um tax cuts under this administration uh something that most likely you wouldn't have in the same uh, with the same kind of enthusiasm with the president biden um furthermore it's likely that you'll see certain tax increases as well uh, under President Biden. So so in that sense, like it's, it's a clear cut sort of traditional left versus right um, uh, question we're dealing with in terms of where do you want to, you know, what kind of economic management uh, do you want to see? And so in that sense, um, you know, you could potentially make an argument in favor of Donald Trump. Now, the problem I have with that is that, first of all, Um, the fact that the headline figures were so good pre-COVID actually, uh, you know, obscures a few um, structural issues in my estimation of the economy, like within, you know, the fundamentals of the economy, um, most of all pertaining to long-term, you know, debt trajectories for the federal government. I am still of the mind that uh, fiscal responsibility is, is sort of a uh, a virtue, and not just something we can just discard uh, willy nilly. You mean and debt then, matters, Ben? Uh, yes. I, I, I do <laughs> think that in the in the on the horizon, um, that those chickens are going to come home to roost eventually. Uh, and especially now that we're we're basically seeing the federal government dole out, um, basically an unlimited amount of money to deal with this. Which is not to say that that's not necessary, but uh, but it's still a problem now. You know, Trump was perhaps the least fiscally responsible president uh, of our lifetime, certainly. Um, and that, you know, even when you count, for, you know, especially when you count for the fact that uh, George W. Bush, for example, you know, ran down huge deficits because of the wars. Um, and we're not going to get into that, but. Right. Uh, Trump
0: inherited it, a peacetime roaring economy and blew out the deficit anyways. You're
1: exactly yeah, right. It doesn't make yeah. sense. So.
2: So, so the thing is, of course, um, you know that's one argument that's often being made too. You know, apropos wars that he hasn't sort of actually gotten us into, um, you know, a major, major conflict in the same way that previous presidents have. So, uh, you know, I I don't know if that's uh, you know him being erratic or somehow you know more more isolationist sort of in uh, at least in disposition and on, you know in, in certain ways it's chaotic, but um I, I suppose that's a valid argument only if you have extraordinarily low expectations uh uh for a commander in chief um which you know of course that's a discussion for another day now and i'm sure you know matt you're you're going to go uh, probably much in, more into the the courts mm-hmm. um you know certainly you're probably more guaranteed to get um uh, well a a a sort of textualist um on the high court with a president trump than you are uh with a president biden although in my view i mean I, I don't see sort of some um you know imminent liberal takeover of uh of the courts as as sort of a huge threat um because you know in a certain way that's not how the courts work now the final point which is perhaps the most salient and and this is i'm trying my best here because i genuinely do not see uh, a case for reelecting donald trump but but i'll i'll play devil, devil's advocate here and say that well on a certain level he represents um sort of a a, a stopgap in the culture wars um and, and sort of serves that purpose in insofar as you know you're seeing sort of a radicalization uh, happening uh, especially in certain circles on the left uh, side of the spectrum, um, you know and we've we've covered that before we've talked about sort of the woke movement um, and and what that means for broader society in general. again, you know this is probably the best case I can make for him is that um on balance, you know it might not be so bad, although I'm not really that optimistic i think uh, I think President Trump is a hugely corrosive um, uh, figure in American politics who simultaneously radicalizes you know sort of both ends of the spectrum, obfuscates like what actual conservatism means, uh, fails to unite the country and even you know people right of center, as we're talking about in this right now and and generally uh, I think that Re-electing him would uh would base would basically be a hugely well just be a huge mistake uh on the part of Republicans as well. So yeah,
0: Matt Matt uh, Matt Ben Ben invoked your name and left out mine. Go
1: all right. So <laughs> basically, I think that the courts are like. At I, I, first, I want to preface this by saying there is no good positive argument for Donald Trump to vote for him uh from a conservative standpoint. If you're a Tuckerist national populist, um, maybe you know. If you, if you, I'd actually say
0: that that's a good case you you know, to be made. Uh, like, if you love tariffs, yeah, he's I mean, all your guy. Yeah,
1: I mean, if you like Tucker Carlson's brand of political philosophy, go for Trump. I mean, that I mean, he's literally your guy. Uh, I also
0: don't think, to be fair, I think Tucker Carlson is different from Trump,
2: right? In the sense but if that Tucker
0: Carlson actually has a coherent ideology, yes. and I. I think Trump just operates based on instinct. Yeah, I think I but think this is yeah. giving cr-
2: Trump too much
1: credit. No, I I am not giving him credit leader. for for having an ideology. Right, but he's, he's he's
0: way that. closer to Tucker Carlson than he is yeah. to uh Edmund Burke.
1: Right. So, basically, <laughs> um I think the best positive argument for Trump, although I don't agree with it, is the courts. Uh, and you can actually go back, I think it's episode 37. Is that right? Um uh, that's right. The values of independence. The values of independence. That was our 4th of July special. Uh, we talked that about that. feels
0: like an eternity ago.
1: Yeah, and it was only a month, but uh, whew, feels like a while. So, yes, it does. basically, that, you know, I'm not going to get too into the nitty gritty with that. If you want to hear the nitty gritty of the court's argument, go back and listen to that episode. Um, but basically, I think the courts are kind of the best argument for him still, just because, yeah, like I don't want to see Clarence Thomas get replaced by. Uh, a joe biden appointee i don't want to see clarence thomas get replaced by well actually he wouldn't get replaced by merrick garland because merrick garland is uh was kind of a a olive branch to republicans to try to get them to approve an obama justice and it didn't work so you know we wouldn't even
2: which still still really is interesting to me that that you know in the end it was was sort of extended as a dare you know because merrick garland was actually someone that the Republicans. I I, I was it Warren Hatch? I don't literally, know. Literally <laughs> literally named Merrick Garland as a type of justice they'd be willing to vote for yeah. and then they ended up not doing Well it, I mean so. it's because it was an
1: election year, Mitch McConnell played hardball, uh which is, you know, to be expected. Um well if RBG
2: dies this year, then if it, be sure that it's going that, there's that precedent will be, be <laughs> done away oh, with no, quite quickly. I don't
1: I I don't I was not fooled by Mitch McConnell. I don't think that he was that was some kind of principle because it was an election year. I think it was because he thought you know Trump was going to be elected and we were going to get Gorsuch and he was right. And so if Rbgs or or you know Breyer or Thomas dies before or you know retires, uh, which would be I mean if they wanted to sow political discord, they would retire. <laughs> but uh, you know if if one of them were to pass away before the election. Yeah, Mitch McConnell would ram through a Trump appointee really quick because that would be, you know, that's his prerogative and that's fine. Mitch McConnell's an operator and I'm not going to. Well, it depends
0: on, depends on if the uh, Republicans seeking reelection in vulnerable seats go along with Mitch McConnell. That's, I mean, that's that is true. Too. That is true because yeah. I know that de- they you won't get a
1: single vote from the Democrats, but the,
0: i all think... Susie Q up in Maine. I'm calling think... Mitch. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think so. I think Susan Collins. Would, she, well, would go no, for it. she will just be deeply disturbed, and then she yeah, would she would give a really long
1: speech. She'd go, "I'm very upset by this," and then she'd vote for this him. Is, and it, that would this be this is a terrible you know?
0: precedent that we're establishing during this time. I am contributing to this,
1: and Lisa Murkowski would abstain, uh, and you know Joe Manchin would flip over. Uh, so you know it would probably be okay. Um, but yeah. I don't know. Uh, it'd be an interesting time. Uh, that kind of went off topic from from the case. Yeah, I don't think Trump Trump really deserves to your vote, though, uh, if you're a conservative or if you consider yourself a serious conservative. Uh, I don't think he, he earns it.
0: I, I, I think there's kind of a two pronged argument that is the best case for Trump. I think if you are of the mind that this election is the determining factor for the next 50 to 100 years of this country, that's obviously a great argument, a great reason to vote for Trump. I think that's an idiotic argument, which I'll get into in a moment. Uh, I also think that there's the Supreme Court argument, which, again, listen episode 37, I think falls short in the end because it relies on two false premises. Number one, that we're two justices away from tyranny, and number two, that we're two justices away from conservative utopia. Right. Um, re- regardless, I, I, I don't want to, I, I think those are the best arguments to make. I, I want to I want to kind of push back against a very specific argument that I hear from a, a very specific group of people. And those are the people that abstained from voting for Trump in 2016. OK, um, so I, I hear from those people that the reason why they're going to vote for Donald Trump in 2016 is because he's pushed conservative policy and the damage is already done. First off. I, this is this is going to be a major is, point in the major theme Shapiro and, argument. It is the Ben Shapiro argument, and I hear it echoed from a lot of people that. Uh, so I'll start with policy. This is going to be a major theme in the column that's going to be published this weekend. Uh, if it's out by the time that this is out, I'll link it into the uh, into the show description. If not, I'll, um, I'll post a link on the show account so that people know what we're talking about. Um, let's 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 go. So policy wise. Sure, there have been some trump wins. Look at the trial- you know he got the tax cut done in two thousand seventeen uh he moved the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Woo um but that's still a conservative achievement nonetheless uh there's been right to try legislation there is there's a you know a somewhat uh uh substantial list of conservative policy achievements. How much uh, is that uh, substantial isn't
1: the word that I would use but keep
0: going. uh there's a there's a list. A okay. small list. I'll, I'll correct that. There, there, there is a list. There is a list, folks. There's a list. There's, you know, criminal justice reform. There's, there's a list three, of conservative about two policies
1: or three policies uh, that went through well, the legislature. Well,
0: a lot of these things we don't know. Uh, a lot of these things don't make the news. Like, all true, of the deregulation true. that is going on in the executive branch. True. That's still executive really make order the headlines. stuff, though. Yeah, that's yeah, no, right. stuff that the president has done. They do. No, The Title IX like, stuff for The Title IX stuff is cool.
1: That is cool. I like that.
0: Yeah, I... I th- I think that there are, there are actually good objections raised to the new uh, standards, but uh, I agree uh, on a on aggregate that's a that's an achievement. I I don't yeah, like right the, the rules that they're. in. And
2: no, and No, I, I'm not. But- I have
0: I have I have I'm readily admitting that the standards were crap. But the the question is whether or not the new standards are any better. Um, I I guess, but in in mm. the long run, maybe not. Debate for a different day. That yeah, might be a but, good segment in the future.
2: But if, but if you want to... And, and then, uh, you know, another thing, of course, I, I've recommended um, the new Netflix documentary um, on, yeah. like, ICE's activities, basically... Uh, what's it called again? Um, immigration Nation. so yes. And that's a, it's a polarizing expose, but it's an expose nonetheless where you sort of get to see the inner workings of the immigration system. And now, basically, I mean, he's, he's actually gone through with his promise... To basically target all undocumented immigrants um or illegal aliens for deportation stop you can't so, say the word people
1: aren't illegal ben
2: okay well, <laughs> I, well, I i just, I just wanted to, I just wanted to you know you know cover my bases here by using both terms uh, you did a I good job like so you know. Please so, don't so, cancel
0: Ben. He is a nice young gentleman. Okay.
2: Yes. Thank you very much. Yeah. So he's so not an illegal. I mean, I mean, so 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 if you are um, actually of the mind that no, America's full, um, you know, we shouldn't have more people in here. Uh, you should kick Ben out, and you should kick out everybody else. Then you should actually vote right. That's, a, that's a check. That's, yeah. Because that is because that is you know you know he's appointing people into the bureaucracy. Who are um you know who who have a history of of actually being part of fair the Federation of Americans for um immigration reform immigration reform uh, way to complete so, the acronym Matt good job yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh now it, you know but if if you do subscribe to the more mainline i think American sentiment, which is that no actually it 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 should be fine to have immigration at least in some form. Uh, then, then that's certainly a consideration you sh- ought to make. At least that that this administration is a whole lot more anti-immigrant, basically, you know, uh, across the board, legal or illegal, doesn't matter.
0: Right. Um, if you're an immigration hawk, you're happy with the way that the Trump administration has done this. Done yes. things, at least rhetorically.
2: Yeah, and, I and do think, also, and that also includes, by the way, um, if you want to get married to somebody, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, I mean, at least there's consistency there but um uh, you know i've I've seen people who, for example uh will be like, "Oh well, and this is sadly something that I find often with with people who self identify as conservatives that oh it's it's okay so long as it doesn't happen to me, and then they'll change their minds once once it happens to them once uh, they have to run uh, on, the on gamut the issue, yeah and so and so you know i've I've heard people basically um who voted for Trump, but then once you know his wife got deported. Uh, it was like, what the hell, man? Like, you know, I thought, thought you were going after those people, you know, so. It's like David so French's article I mean, about
1: systemic racism. Uh, once he adopted a he has a black daughter, I think. Ethiopian. Ethiopia, Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So like and he didn't I mean, he wasn't a believer in systemic racism until he had uh, adopted an Ethiopian daughter and he saw how she was treated differently than his other kids uh, and then himself. And so it's the exact same thing. It, it's, you know, you change where you, I think, it, what did you say? You change where you stand or you change where you sit? Uh, changing, changing. Do you where think
0: you, you, I think the saying is you think where you stand yeah. or something like that. Something like um, that. But good uh, para- I'm paraphrasing.
1: Yeah. Like basically. Can I continue my case? Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead.
0: Yes. <laughs> no problem. Didn't mean to interrupt. So, so, no, no, no. No problem, Ben. I mean, I, so there have been, you know, achievements. There's, there's no doubt. I mean, when you're in office for four years, you're bound to get something done. Um, especially when you're you know when you have a republican senate for 2 years in a republican house you're bound to sign some bills that the republican party finds favorable um there's two problems with this argument on policy grounds one a lot of the policy is a gross exaggeration uh like trump's i was reading trump's website and they have a whole section on how he's built the wall right he's he's built 250 miles of wall by replacing existing wall with upgraded barriers and has failed to get anywhere close to his promise of building a great big tremendous beautiful wall on the southern border with a gigantic door. What has been happening is we're retrofitting old wall and building parts we're, we're, we're retrofitting old wall where there's already wall and building some wall in places where there was a fence or where there wasn't a wall at all. That is not A gigantic policy achievement to hang your hat on, especially when, and this rolls into my second point, you achieve that policy through non-conservative means. The way Trump was able to use some of that money was by executive order, was able to uh, accomplish some of those goals was through executive fiat that he had no constitutional authority to do. That's how the wall was built um, in, in, in large part. And for every, I won't say for every, but for a large part for, for, for many of the conservative policy achievements that, you know, are, you know, you can give Trump kudos for there have been populist, nationalist, isolationist, um, not conservative things that he's done. I take the, take the tax credits as a perfect example of those tax credits in 2017. Um, you know, supposed to be an economic boon, right? Immediately after that tax cut. Trump moved to impose massive tariffs on uh, Chinese imports, including um, some agricultural products. Gotta be tough. And, in cor- and according to multiple publications, including, um, I, I don't have it with me. It's, I think it's M- NFAT, National Federation something trade. I'll look it up while we're talking. But according, according to that institution, all of those economic gains that came from the tax cuts were wiped out by the tariffs that he implemented. It's uh, the National Foundation for American Policy, NFAP, which is a trade policy think tank. Anyways, so for you take one step forward with a conservative win and you take one step backward with an isolationist, nativist, populist policy. That's and you see this happen over and over and over again. Um, Trump, um, Trump defeats ISIS and then decides he's going to pull all the troops out of Afghanistan like the next day Or, or 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 even. You defeat ISIS, and then you pull all the troops out of Syria and leave a skeleton crew behind, and you abandon the Kurds, leave them to the mercy of the Turks. You, you see this happen over and over and over again, and not to mention all of these, uh, many of these policy priorities have been just obliterated in one Trump tweet or one stupid comment in a Fox and Friends interview at 8.50 in the morning when he should be reading his presidential daily brief. So, so that's...
2: So that's my main problem here, is that, is that no matter what sort of policy agenda it is you're actually looking for in a president, um, you know, if you are of the mind that, that, you know, sort of perpetual warfare ought to be scaled back and that, you know, there aren't that many strategic interests for the United States in the Middle East, you know, that's, that's a discussion to have. But the problem here is that basically on the foreign policy um, front... The Trump administration has actually waged a very haphazard and well. Oh, there is no more, overarching strategy there's no to anyth- there's there's, it's, it's, there's it's, no it's overarching more, strategy to anything it's it's been much more um you know characterized by basically his personality and chaos and mm-hmm. and that's alienating allies um you know I think that's completely irrefutable at this point uh w- w- even whether that's fair or not that's a separate discussion but it's um but it's certainly fair insofar as you know that's the real effect uh, that's the real it's, effect it's a real effect yeah. of having a president who 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 cannot comport himself um in the same way that one would expect from the leader of a superpower no and that's what if,
0: makes me and that's what makes me so upset with this argument because it ignores every single thing it, it ignores tons of things it, you know it does ignore every single thing that is not a conservative policy and, and and he's also and taking says,
2: credit for for you know other nato allies you know, upping their percentage of GDP spent on um, defense. Meanwhile, that was actually something that was enacted in 2014. I mean, that's right, already right. sort of on the the you know, idea. On the, agenda.
0: The, the idea that because Trump passed the t- the tax cuts of 2017 or moved the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem that he suddenly becomes a conservative stalwart on, among the likes of Ronald Reagan is just a ludicrous argument to me. It's one of the weakest arguments I've ever heard. The, the fears of a Trump populist agenda have not mo- have not been assuaged. A fact, in fact, they've been affirmed in many ways. OK, that's what I ha- that's my biggest ar- problem with the, with the policy first argument. And it also policy ignores the fact that Trump is incredibly toxic to conservatism itself. He, his character is of that of a seven year old boy who just had his bike taken away because he slapped his brother. OK, that's that's what Trump's character is like. And he's been proven to be entirely incompetent. Just look at the way he's handled this, this pandemic. I I, I think unless you haven't consumed a two liters worth of Trump Kool-Aid, it is so evident that this president is incredibly out of his league and quite frankly, doesn't give a rat's ass about this anymore because it doesn't benefit him politically. And therefore, I I think that ultimately there is no positive case for Trump. Um, There is only a case to be made against uh, uh, for voting for him against Joe Biden, and the idea that Joe Biden, the guy who just on Wednesday said that he's not going to defund the police, in fact, he's going to increase funding for police, is somehow going to cause anarchy on the streets and implement Bernie Sanders-style socialism is something you only believe if you spend your entire day listening to Alex Marlowe of Breitbart News or Sean Hannity at 9 p.m., okay? I do not buy this argument whatsoever. And if you think Joe Biden is some senile fool in stooge, I wonder what you think of Trump's mental competency. That's all I got to say.
1: We have a choice between a dunce and a, a senile old man. So, yeah.
0: It's not. I mean, I don't I don't think Biden's senile. I think both of them are dumb. Maybe Biden's get lost a little bit. I think Biden's lost a little bit of uh, a little bit. He's also
2: always had sort of this
1: speech. um, He's always bumbled around. Yeah. Yeah. But
0: he is slurring his words a little bit more. But that might be due to his dentures
2: more than anything else. No, but he's got the oldest president we ever elect.
1: And Trump right now is the oldest president we've ever elected. It's not it, it like we
2: have a wealth of choices here in terms of, no. you know, it's it's not like we have a problem of luxury and our great choices for president. However, um, you know, I do think that virtually all arguments that are made um, against Biden, uh, you know, based on, you know, mental facilities is basically moot. Just. You know, if you spend an hour listening to Donald Trump speak, I mean, uh, it's... It, it,
0: Person, woman, man, <laughs> camera, TV. They say, repeat. And it's very tough. It's a tough test.
2: Look, you know, <laughs> you, you made you, you made the analogy here. You know, it might be a simile. I don't know my literary devices that well. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I don't think
0: I said it, like. So it would actually be a metaphor or an yeah, analogy? So, so,
2: so, yeah. so, yeah. So analogy to, you know, a, a seven-year-old boy... Um, who had his bike taken away for slapping his brother, it's actually worse than that, because, because no. that's actually a punishment that you would, you know, presumably, uh, like a good parent would impart on their kid for doing such sure. a thing. Sure. No, this is, this is actually a seven-year-old um, who was rewarded with a bike for slapping his brother, because it shows <laughs> that he's tough, you know? Oh, he's that's, a killer, you know? That might no, no, be that's, true. Uh, that's, uh, I'm not gonna that's lie. A, that's a better I, one. I did read parts of Mary Trump's book, <laughs> oh, uh, which is you know it's 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 blue meat. It's blue obviously. meat. Obviously, it's raw. Uh, uh, but Chicken you know, there's there's, there's there's certain truth to it just because you know the lady's a clinical psychologist, and you know, so presumably you can actually make some inferences. Um, sure, it, but with a gigantic you know. axe to grind. Yeah, well, I don't know. That's a... you have to take that with a grain of salt. Obviously, I
1: think an entire um, salt but... shaker of salt.
2: <laughs> uh, well, well, yes, uh, but but you know, in 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 the context of this analogy, I think it's correct. Okay, uh, okay. I, I think that his personality has been uh, sort of skewed to to maladaptive behavior. Um, one could say, and, yeah. and that, and I think that's quite visible, um, especially when you know he has the bully pulpit of. The presidency, well, and, and I think having such a person there is just not good for the country, Um, especially not in a time of of this level of instability. I, you know, I, I think it has a, a hugely corrosive effect on on American culture and, and political discourse. Yeah. Um, to be sure, and, and I believe think it's me. Uh, polarization in in a very toxic and dangerous way. Yeah, I wonder if if in that metaphor, if, like,
1: (laughs) who is the parent? Who's the parent giving him the bike? Like, at first, it was probably the American people in the primary, the Republican primary. But now, you know, is it his enablers in Congress? Um, Uh,
0: Yes, that's exactly who it would be. And the base base that believes that we're one election away from Stalinist Russia. Right. Um, And look, I just want to say this. I, I don't think you're a bad person if you vote for Trump, um, whether you support the Absolutely guy. Not. No, of course. What I do think, what I do think about somebody that votes for Trump out of the belief that he's some, you know, God, is that you, you, you really either put blinders on or just haven't paid attention. He's, he's, he's proven himself to be entirely incompetent. He's not Ronald Reagan. Any comparison no. between the two are, is hilariously
2: wrong. Um, yeah, can, can you imagine um, Trump winning the, the Cold War vis-a-vis Gorbachev not do that.
0: Look, Gorbachev's yeah. a great guy, he's got a funny spot, Who knew? and he's got to that wear glasses. Was, the
2: Soviet Union, there was a thing called Lenin, you know, that, that was a guy. <laughs> you know? That happened.
0: They've got great, beautiful, big, pointy missiles, and we're going to be tough. We're gonna be strong. They've got a, to be, we, got have to be nice. red, we have to be nice. Okay? We have to be nice. Okay. We have to be nice.
1: It's red just like the Republican Party. We love it. And uh No, of course. And also they have a thing called the Kremlin. You ever seen the, that movie, The Kremlins? It's like got a <laughs> right. bunch of little furry creatures. <laughs> and to into
0: you know my friends to and my friends have creatures, <laughs> though, <I> went there. <laughs> <laughs> and to my friends that are voting for Trump out of fear of Joe Biden. I get it the The environment that we're living in right now would, would cause a reasonable man to any you know would, would yeah, cause most else? reasonable men to believe that you know we're, at the end of the, the, the end is the end is near yeah. the end um, is nigh the end is nigh <laughs> but
2: so uh, so the, the thing about that point Nick uh, is that is that you know I just implore everybody to keep in mind that you know uh, congress people. Have good working relationships with people, you know, across the aisle, and their main gripe is basically with um, the leadership of both parties. and And I don't think Trump is um, basically well. So for for this argument that people make that you know he's draining the swamp, that's just absolutely not true. Um, I mean, I mean, he's no. basically just sort of you know playing dress up. Right. on a that's already Look, there. As I and, said, you
0: have to have drank two liters worth of Kool-Aid to believe that hiring Corey Lewandowski is draining yes, the swamp. But, but okay. also, but also
2: <laughs> Biden presidency, I mean, it won't represent that big of a, of a swing to the left in my estimation. I, I think, um, by and large, I mean, yeah, you'll, you will have policy uh, more akin to the Obama administration. There will be losses. Um, and there will be losses. But at the end of the day... Uh, it will be at least sort of a step down from this hyper polarizing um, uh, environment, where where this kind of like it, basically a, a whole media complex on both sides here, by the way, basically you know profiting and 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 benefiting off of um, stoking hate, you know, uh, for the other side among the American people. I think that's an incredibly toxic. Uh, uh, type of political culture. And, and I, I think that's the main reason why reelecting Donald Trump and perpetuating this and actually escalating it, um, would probably end up damaging the country much more than stomaching four years of uncle Joe, sleepy Joe, sleepy Joe,
0: uh, breaking news, gentlemen, um, as we were recording the segment, uh, for anybody that knows, we record on Thursdays and release on Friday. President Trump has issued an executive order that would ban TikTok from operating in the United States in 45 days if it is not sold by its Chinese parent company. Quick reaction. Mine is probably not not legal, but good. <laughs> yeah, ban TikTok. I'm for it. Uh, you know.
1: National at Security. At the end of the day,
2: I think, I think, I, I'm sure the Silicon Valley can come up with an, uh, you know, an alternative. Microsoft build, is going to buy uh, it anyway. Well, Let's hope yeah. not. And, then, you know, and 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 even and even if it's you know outlawed, I'm sure there will be you know some other app to basically um, take its place. Remember Vine? Yeah, I know. Yeah.
0: Yes.
1: Uh, yeah.
2: So all right. Well,
1: that was a good discussion on President Trump, uh, and I know we talked a little bit about his enablers in Congress. Some people want to blow up the party, uh, like Charlie Sykes and that kind of thing. But someone uh, who's kind of in that circle doesn't want to blow up the party. And that's the other Matt Lewis, not me, the other one. Uh, So we actually interviewed him uh, on on Tuesday. Was it Tuesday that we interviewed him?
0: Uh, Yes. Tuesday afternoon.
1: Well, it feels like forever ago. Uh, But we we did a pre-recorded interview with him about blowing up the GOP. What does he think about it? Why shouldn't we do it? A fantastic interview. Absolutely. Probably the best interview that we've done on this program so far. Um, And uh, I will kind of cut it over to that right now. All right, so now coming into the program, we'd like to welcome a someone who shares my name, Matt Lewis. He's a little bit more accomplished than I am. He's a senior columnist at the Daily Beast and a political commentator for CNN. Uh, he also runs a podcast called Matt Lewis in the News. How are you doing?
3: Hey, Matt Lewis. I'm doing good. <laughs> I've had a few more years uh, under this with Matt Lewis under this belt, so I think you're going to catch up. Good to talk to you.
1: <laughs> yeah, good to, good to have you on the program. So uh, the reason we asked you on is you had a pretty interesting article in the Daily Beast uh, about mm-hmm. why we it's it's too late to uh, blow up the Republican Party or why we should still vote for why we should still vote for Republicans in this coming election and you seem to have kind of broken off from some of the other center right commentators like Charlie Sykes or uh, Jonathan V Last I know that both of them have been talking about blowing up the party to repair it. So um, if you wouldn't mind just kind of summarizing your position on the, on the topic, why do you think we need to save the GOP and why shouldn't we just throw the whole thing out?
3: Well, look, I, I get their point. I mean, I think that Donald Trump is, uh, is pretty bad. I think that you could make an argument like burn it all down and it's easier to start fresh. I don't think that's a conservative instinct, actually, but I understand the argument. But part of the problem is that, um, you know, I, look, I'm assuming that Joe Biden is going to win the presidency. So it's not a foregone conclusion, but it's, I think it's a pretty safe assumption. So the question is, do you want to have at least one chamber of Congress that could serve as a, a check, not just on Joe Biden, but on the pressure Joe Biden is going to feel from the left? Look, we just heard um, a couple days ago, President Obama speaking at John Lewis's funeral said we should, you know, kill the filibuster, the legislative filibuster, and just pass things with 51, actually 50 plus the vice president votes um, in the Senate. Uh, he also, uh, President Obama, uh, also urged uh, Democrats to uh, make Puerto Rico and Washington D.C. a state. So there's probably four more democratic senators. There's a lot of talk about packing the Supreme Court. So uh, it may be a, it may sound like a great idea to totally purge all the republicans who enabled Donald Trump, but I think what you're doing is opening the door to the left uh, who might have their own sort of uh, all, you know authoritarianism and uh, just Basically, Trumpism packaged as progressivism, and so um, as a conservative, as somebody who uh, who believes in the American system, although it's flawed, I think some checks and balances. And yes, the word gridlock might actually be uh, better than the alternative.
2: So, so just to follow up on that, um, I mean, then what does a post-Trump GOP look like to you? Because, in my estimation, I mean the the takeover of Trumpism of the party didn't really happen in a vacuum. This was a process that was ongoing for quite a few years. And now basically you, you do have a lot of uh, people who aren't necessarily, you know, aligned with sort of a traditional conservative um, or even free marketeer line anymore. Now it's become more of this sort of America first nationalist incarnation of the GOP. So, so what is there left? You know, once Trump is out of the picture, I mean, I mean, what does it look like to you?
3: Yeah. So I think we're, whatever happens, it won't be as Trumpy as Trump. So you're going to have some version of a hybrid of what the Republican Party used to be and what it became under Trump. And I think they're different. There's a spectrum, right? So if Mike Pence or Nikki Haley were the nominee, um, I think that it would be a little more like the Republican Party used to be with a dash of Trumpism and populism thrown at. If Josh Hawley or Tom Cotton or Tucker Carlson, my former boss, if they're the nominee or uh, Don Jr., then I think it's much closer to Donald Trump, but still more palatable, (laughs) like less overtly racist, less unseemly. And so I think that um, the question for me is whether I could support that party is where they are on the spectrum. Uh, there's a, certainly a line that I would not cross, but um, but I do think it's possible that you have a, a Republican Party that is closer to what it used to be than it is to what it is today.
2: Okay, I see I see your point there, but but you know where does the sort of base factor in here? Because obviously Trump is very popular with the base, and a lot of the reason why Republicans are so reticent to criticize the president is because they're afraid, basically. Of of you know falling out of favor with uh, what's essentially now sort of a genie that I can't necessarily see being put into back into the bottle in terms of populism on the right. So so what's to say that um, that that strand of populism won't just continue uh, being basically in control of the party, given that that's where the base is at.
3: It seems. Well, I think that it's you're you're totally. It's totally possible that, that the nightmare scenario <laughs> you've described uh, is true, that it, that it, that it could be. Um, I think there's a possibility that, that, that you're wrong. If Trump loses badly, if Trumpism is discredited, and if it appears that it's a losing idea, then you may find that the base is actually pretty fickle. Um, I'm look. Part of this is that I'm old enough to remember when George W. Bush was wildly popular. When compassionate conservative, compassionate conservatism was wildly popular with the base, and there were, you know, there were people who were more in the Pat Buchanan camp or 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 the Pat Robertson camp or or whatever. Um, You know, Alan Keyes had a faction, but they were really on the fringe. I mean, George W. Bush wasn't the elite establishment candidate. He was, but he was also the base candidate. Um, so the question then is, has the base changed? And I do think that there are some kind of white working class Democrats uh, who are populist Democrats who are like Bill Clinton voters or, or Dick Gephardt voters who have joined the Republican coalition who have maybe have, uh, have skewed what, maybe it's not even my party anymore. You know, uh, that's possible. But these are the questions we're going to find out. <laughs> this is the real test. Is, is this a party that I could be a part of in the future? And I don't think we know the answer to that yet. If Trumpism is uh, utterly decimated and that does, and we still don't have a come to Jesus moment, then then we know the answer.
0: So I think, um, I think that the last comment actually raises a good question in my mind. I, you, you talked about Trump enablers a little bit earlier on. I think there are two different types of Trump enablers. I know Matt will get into that a little bit earlier. There are the Trump enablers that are doing it out of political interest, um, and there are the Trump enablers that are doing it out of real ideological um, agreement with the president. And so the question I have for you is, I, I would uh, I would assume, correct me if I'm wrong, that you don't think that nationalism or populism is something that should be a significant faction within the GOP. So my question for you is, how do we get rid of that element from the party? Um, And if we can't, do you see yourself having a home in the GOP for the considerable future? Because I really can't.
3: Well, yeah, I'll start with that. I I can't, if, if that's how it turns out. And again, I think we don't quite know. If Trump loses badly, it could you know w- often what happens is people go you know from mitt romney to donald trump is a lot of range
2: <laughs> it's fair <laughs> could we go
3: could we have could we go from donald trump to someone like mitt romney I, I don't know if if we can go that direction right maybe maybe we're just headed toward a populist nationalist direction uh, or maybe maybe there's a backlash and 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 losing i mean donald trump would be like the first one term president since jimmy carter so maybe it's hard to like um maybe that sort of discredits his 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 brand of politics um so i don't think we i don't think we know the answer to that i you know if if it's a nationalist populist direction i i would not be on board what was the first part of the question um i, I mean you you sort of answered it in your response
0: to whether or not you see yourself having a home in the GOP. But the real question is, if, if say, Trump loses a less than uh, less than blowout election, you're still going to have a significant contingent of the party that are Trumpist in nature. You're going to have, you know, your, your Josh Hawley's that, Josh Hawley, to be honest, scares me more than anybody else in the Senate, because he's incredibly intelligent. And in my opinion, he's just a nationalist populist and scares the crap out of me for that reason. Um, But you're still going to have a contingent of those people nonetheless. So my question was, basically, how do you change that? Uh, Do you see in any avenue in which the GOP can reclaim, you know, the, uh, not exactly the Ronald Reagan conservative mantra, um, claim that mantle once again, but how do you get a little bit closer to it so you don't have a you know, a Pat Buchanan or his modern-day manifestation of Josh Hawley in the party.
3: Well, I would, I would say, I'm not even sure Josh Hawley's a true believer, um, mm. and and the reason for that is I sat next to him at a Catholic dinner when he was running for attorney general of Missouri, and he had read my book Too Dumb to Fail, and he completely agreed with everything I wrote, according to him, um, at the time before he was elected, he was running. And he struck me as this like Ivy League educated, Rubio type conservative, um, who was, you know, somewhat of an intellectual. And and then of course, no, so then, see, if Josh Hawley had run in 2012, or, 20, or, or 2004, like, if he'd run in, like in 2004, maybe he would have been a compassionate conservative. And if he'd run in 2012, Maybe he would have been like a freedom caucus, fiscal conservative, like free market type, Club for Growth guy. Like it's hard to say. He had the benefit of not having the baggage that like Cruz and Rubio has. So he got to run as a Trump candidate in in the Trump era. So he got to. He doesn't have the baggage of having been like a compassionate conservative or a or a freedom caucus guy. So he got to pick his brand and and. Um, the only thing that makes me question that is apparently he did like a big thesis or something on Theodore Roosevelt in college. So that makes me think, I I believe, actually. So that makes me think maybe he is a national, like sort of a nationalist populist, but I'm not hundred percent sure that he's not more of an opportunist. Um, and so even in the case of like the perfect example you cite, I don't even know for sure how committed he is to a certain ideology versus just winning and, and getting elected. I think, so part of it is what's popular in the moment. And that's based on, partly on what works and what doesn't, what wins and what loses. So the, so Trump losing could impact that. I also think just it's, it's, it's you know, we need to get back to having an, um, a debate about ideas. And I don't think really, you know, you couldn't really debate Trump. You know, there's this comedian who would just be like, Trump would be like, no, and he would like win the debate. You know, you would make a compelling. So, so Trump existed outside the like the logical format of like, I present ideas and you need to compete with those ideas. And, and maybe with Trump gone, we will find out whether um, nationalism and populism can actually compete intellectually with what I would call, like, actual conservative philosophy.
0: Well, let's hope it doesn't. Um, ben, I know you had a quick question, and then Matt.
2: Yeah, so, so in this context, though, um, I, I definitely see what you're saying about, you know, we'll know a whole lot more about this after the election, obviously, but also in terms of the people who are, you know, supposedly, or at least were sort of true believers in sort of these conservative ideas that we're talking about are now sort of ex post facto squaring the circle of, of finding their home within the Trumpian Republican party based off of raw political power. And sort of, what does that tell you about, um, you know, speaking of fickleness, but fickleness in, in terms of um, the people who were actually involved with this Trumpian project who all of a sudden now will, you know, supposedly defect because of, Again, it's a political calculation, but but sort of how do we? I suppose my question is, how do we sort of balance between you know political interests in terms of getting the right type of policy enacted, and and when do we sort of say stop? We cannot be on board with with this kind of stuff. And, and so, um, do you have any advice for at least yeah. people who are um, trying? Well, to it's figure, really figure tough. I mean,
3: I think politics is messy. We live in a fallen world and we have to kind of take the world as it is um so i would say a few things like one i do think it's possible for someone like marco rubio for example to take the the sort of reaganite philosophy that he had as a son of immigrants but realize okay there are we live in a time when people are worried about different things you know we're not trying to beat the Soviet Union, we're competing against China. There's a lot of working class folks in the Rust Belt who are worried about automation, they're worried about immigration, they're worried about, um, wh- you know, whatever. Um, and we should- General think, cultural decay, I guess yeah. is the best way of saying it. Right, and we need to take like, rather than just sort of waving that away and dismissing it them as like, boy polloi, We we should take that seriously. So I'm open to the idea that you could have a hybrid system that um feels their pain and recognizes legitimate populist concerns, but but stands off the rough edges uh of 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 xenophobia and things like that. And that if we ended up with a Rubio compromise, some something that like tips its hat to um the, the, the less unseemly parts of Trumpism, but, but also is, is 80% Rubio. Um, the problem is though, I think Rubio by like voting against even allowing witnesses in the impeachment trial, I think he's kind of disqualified himself from being the leader of my movement, but I would still vote for him to be a Senator, to be a US Senator. And so like, it's a little bit of a, I don't want to say that I'm being like inconsistent, but just my standards are different. I mean, I think the person who's going to lead us to the promised land might be someone from the outside who, who just wasn't tarnished by, by this era where Trump really either co-opted or discredited or humiliated everybody on the scene. So maybe the savior comes from outside. But, um, but would I be cool with Marco Rubio being a senator from Florida as opposed to someone from the left? Yeah, I think I'd be OK with that.
0: Matt, I'm glad to hear that you're uh, fully endorsing Tucker Carlson's bet for the White House in 2024.
3: (laughs) Well, um, Tucker and I disagree a lot on politics, and we always have, but I worked for him for six years, and I have to tell you, he was an amazing boss. And I think he's a brilliant person. And if he wants to run for president, I wouldn't bet against him.
0: I wouldn't either. Younger Matt Lewis.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. um, So, in your interview with Charlie Sykes uh, and, in your, and in your column for the Daily Beast, you called Ben Sass spineless um, yes. for refusing to stand up to President Trump. I personally am a big Ben Sass fan. I do agree that he hasn't done enough to stand up to Trump. But I'm wondering if you think that this could be actually kind of a useful political calculation on his part to um, save his own political career and stay relevant so that when we have to rebuild the party following Trump, uh, he can have a voice. Uh, I think that it, can, it it's kind of a political calculation in the sense that if he goes against Trump now, he definitely risks losing his political relevancy. And if he can stay in the Senate and kind of just keep quiet, I think that it could be worth it for him in the sense that he could become a voice afterwards. What do you think about
3: that? Well, I think... So first of all, the reason I'm so hard on Ben Sass is he's somebody that I really liked and I really had, you know, look, if, if he had been Susan Collins, I wouldn't care. But, but he's somebody who not only did I like him, so I had a very high expectations for him, but he went around talking about Burke and Tocqueville and casting himself as, as someone who was not a partisan hack but somebody who believed in big ideas and big things and could be like an intellectual philosophical leader. So for those reasons, I had high expectations for him and he did not live up to them. And so that is why I've been so hard on him. Um, and I think deservedly so. Now when we talk about the calculation he made, I think it worked for him because I think Donald Trump's going to be gone. Um, but Here's the deal. If it hadn't been for coronavirus, if it hadn't been for coronavirus, which wrecked Trump's economy, which isn't really Trump's economy. But if that hadn't happened, it's very likely, certainly plausible, that Donald Trump gets reelected. And if Donald Trump gets reelected, I I don't know, you know, we we have a very strong system. Uh, We have a lot of guardrails in place. But those guardrails are contingent on people like Ben Sass standing up to the president. And, and, you know, when he voted for that bogus, remember, there was this emergency order. I mean, the president went to Congress and said, I need money to build the wall. And Congress said, no, you know, we control the purse strings. We're not going to give you the money. And Trump said, oh, I don't need Congress after all. It's very much what, what Barack Obama said when he said, you know, I'm not a dictator. I can't just. I can't just, you know, do the DREAM Act unilaterally. And then, oh, I guess I can. So, you know, then Sass, uh, the calculation may, play off, uh, may pay off. Uh, Donald, we may all survive Donald Trump's presidency and, and Sass may have saved his seat. Um, but I think the stakes were pretty high, that he didn't stand up and he didn't do the right thing. And, and if Sass had stood up, See, we don't know if, 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 if SAS had stood up early and opposed Trump on the executive, on that emergency order and, and on, I mean, these guys wouldn't even allow witnesses to testify at the impeachment trial. So I just, I have a hard time moving past it. Now, look, on this I'm a moderate because everyone else, all my, all my other friends think we should vote them all out of office and burn, and, and, and burn them to the ground. Um, and I'm saying, no, um, you know, uh, I don't think we should really do that, but I do think it was spineless.
1: Who do you see leading the party after Trump then, uh, if anyone currently in office or maybe slightly outside the sphere of power? Um, do you see anyone at all uh, taking up the mantle of the conservative leader, or do you think we're going to be seeing someone who kind of comes out of nowhere?
3: Well, I think that, like I was saying, I think that that it's most likely that that the real leader comes from outside of Washington or somebody who is not involved in the Trump era, because anybody who's been involved in this era, I mean, even Nikki I mean, Nikki Haley is the worst example. She made it out of the era unscathed and then went back in to be humiliated. You're exactly right. I, I don't get the phrase of her, to be quite honest, as a principled conservative. But she's the only person who made it who 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 got close, you know, like who who like flew close to the sun, survived, and then said, Oh, I'm going back inside the house to get some more belongings uh, to, to mix my metaphors, but I can't, so she ruined it. Um, I don't think, look, I, I don't think anybody like, you know, so somebody who looks pretty good today in my eyes is, is Governor Larry Hogan of, of my home state of Maryland. But I just, I think he's too much of a Rockefeller Republican. Um, and, uh, so my guess is that this, whoever the savior is, is someone who's, who's not on the scene. It may sound like wishful thinking, but like, who was thinking about Barack Obama you know, five years before Barack Obama was president, so in two thousand three, who was thinking about Barack Obama? He wasn't even a state senator, I don't think or Barack Obama was he was yeah <laughs> <laughs> but he was the only him and Michelle, maybe. so I know it sounds like wishful thinking, but um, you know nobody who knew Josh, nobody knew who Josh Holly was a few years ago um, so but having said that, I, I think it's really slim pickings i mean jo- uh, Justin Amash uh, is not even a Republican, and he won't even be a congressman in November or in january. Um, Mitt Romney is looks like he's forty, but he's got to be in his seventies um, and uh and I think Lynn Cheney could be maybe the speaker if if everything goes right i'm not you know I have not been a huge fan of hers, but she's she's a sane person who. Appears to be making the right enemies. So, uh, but I think it's, just, it's just a very short list.
0: Mitt Romney is seventy three, for the record.
3: By there the way. you go. Yeah, I mean that's
2: I mean that's what happens when you don't drink coffee and you don't you know drink soda all your life. I suppose you know you,
3: he's doing something right, man. Yeah,
2: I mean the, that's the thing. Utah, it's a
3: great. Have you state. had a good look? Have you had a good look at the Huntsman girls? There you they, go. They look terrific. There's, some, there's something <laughs> about it. I don't know what it
2: is. So 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 here's here's what you know bothers me a little bit about this whole discussion, and because you know we're obviously on the same side here in terms of you know intra you know right of center uh, 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 conniving about and and sort of uh, this conflict between Trumpism and and the people who reject it, it just seems a little bit naive to me to believe that there's going to be some sort of renaissance after this or that you know we have any type of avenue to fully rebuke this kind of um ideology that's that's emerging now uh as basically the dominant force at least you know right now within the party so um so so in that sense do you think that this is which which will like how like how do you see the chances anyway of of sort of uh old school um uh, conservative Republican um, ideas sort of coming back
3: to the fore within the party. I mean, I have no reason to believe things are going to get better. If, I were, if I'm betting, I'm betting that I end up, I mean, I'll stay a conservative because in my opinion, that's a timeless philosophy that is not tied to the Republican Party. And that's just, I'm a conservative person. If I'm betting, my guess is I'd, I can't stay in the Republican Party. But having said that, I would just remind us all that in 1972, Richard Nixon won by a landslide. In 1974, Nixon is discredited by Watergate. And six years later, Ronald Reagan's elected president. So now, when I was your age, that seemed like a long time, but it's in in, in political years. I mean, in Trump years, it's a million years in Trump years, but, but um. Six years to go from Watergate to more, you know, Reagan um, is not that long, and so uh, that 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 gives me hope. It's more faith. It's more. It's more an irrational faith than it is, uh, you know, a logical calculation.
1: Well, Matt Lewis, thank you for coming on the show. Um, is there anywhere that people can find you?
3: Oh man, there are many places. Read me at the Daily Beast. Watch me at CNN. Listen to Matt Lewis in the News on iTunes. Follow me on Twitter at Matt K. Lewis. Oh, also, I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Matt Lewis. You asked. So, yes, there are places. <laughs> awesome. Well, we really appreciate
1: you coming on the show, and uh, we hope we can have you back sometime soon. That'd be awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on.
0: Once again, thanks to Matt Lewis, a fantastic interview, insightful commentary from uh, one of America's most prominent anti-Trump, yet reasonable conservatives. Uh, (laughs) Can't thank him enough. Um, Fantastic interview. Um, Now on to the next. Mail-in voting. It's I I would say it's the looming specter that I am afraid of most besides a second wave of the coronavirus gentlemen and let me just give you a little snapshot of 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 some mail-in voting info that that leads me to believe we are in for an absolute cluster so uh, first let me take you to new york city so they held a a primary election back in june it's now six weeks after that election still the city is counting and verifying mail-in ballots Two congressional races and a host of other positions remain undecided. There were major delays uh, in counting over 400,000 mail-in ballots. That's going to pale in comparison to the number of mail-in ballots that uh, come in in the upcoming general election. It it completely inundated um, the, the voting system in New York City. And this is a similar scenario, this is a similar situation that a lot of states and localities find themselves in right now. There's some talk right now of potentially tying a new coronavirus uh, relief bill in with funding for um, election security and and polling places so that we can ensure that all votes are counted in the fall. Uh, There's also talk that a new coronavirus bill might not happen, but anyways... It's safe to say that a lot of places right now are just not prepared to deal with the potential volume that we may see. And there's also fears over whether or not um, we're going to have a victor come election night. I pray, I sincerely pray that we will, if this process becomes, goes from election day to election week to potentially election month that will rip this country apart in ways that i i'm not even prepared to fathom remember well, we don't remember because we were one year old matt and ben was like 6 and living in norway but <laughs> remember from your history textbooks just how fraught the debate was in 2000 Hanging over florida chabs. right and back then al gore actually had the decency to concede Imagine a scenario where where Donald Trump is up is up by one to two percent of the votes on election night in in key swing states, giving him an electoral college win um, without the mail-in ballots being counted. Then we go through this long, protracted process of counting all the votes. And it turns out, well, after counting the tens of millions of mail-in ballots that are going to be cast in this election, turns out that Joe Biden is now the victor. You think Trump's going to concede and be as graceful as, as, you know, to his credit, Al Gore was? Hell no. So question I have for you both. Will we have a victor on election night? No.
2: <laughs> um, a qualified no. So and so here's what I mean. Um, the thing is, yes, uh, the huge volume That we're about to see of um, vote by mail, which is basically unstoppable at this point, Um, whether you like it or not, um, you know, that's a whole other discussion to have. But we'll have it, too. You know, uh, it's it's perfectly reasonable uh, to expect a functioning vote by mail system this year. And it's completely feasible if we're only, you know, able to focus on it as a country. And and basically, you know, install the proper safeguards and procedures. And and voting by mail is also, I mean, it's usually quite safe. I mean, it, it it's not, you know, the the, the type of uh, massively fraudulent method uh, of voting that that it's often you know made out to. You're be. Telling me the mailman isn't going to shred you know. my ballot. Yes, that's correct. Uh, (laughs) I I think I think that type of rhetoric um, sort of debases the U.S. as though it's some sort of a third world country. Oh, Ben, um, we can just be a lot more. We can just be
0: a lot more upfront and say the idea that there is massive fraud in our election system, especially in mail-in balloting, which, by the way, uh, multiple published studies and the Heritage Foundation actually acknowledged this has found that mail-in voting is less fraudulent than actually going to your polling place. So it's fair to say, I'm not going to mince words, that this rhetoric, this line, that we're uh, we're in for massive voter fraud and we can't accept the results of the election because of that, is bullshit.
2: You know, what's (laughs) funny about this is that, you know, the same uh, database that the Heritage Foundation puts out um, is used as sort of... uh, um, it's a sleight of hand kind of argument because that's used as, as proof that there's fraud. But the, but, but what's funny about that is it's proof that fraud is detected and dealt with properly, (laughs) you know? So, yeah. uh, So, so I don't think we have like this massive, you know, hidden problem that's that, you know, election officials on, you know, the local level conspire to sort of, uh, to sort of cover up. I think, Uh, I think that's a conspiracy theory. Now, your question about you know what is election night going to look like? Uh, certainly, it's going to be a different one. I mean, uh, usually on election night, you know, as the as the states close um, across the country, the networks will declare either declare a state based on exit polling. Um, they Matt, will I'd like, like you,
0: non- r- I'd like you, just as Ben was talking about that, to put the Wolf Blitzer bum 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 in the background, yeah, yeah. like the CNN thing. If you can do that, that would be phenomenal. In <laughs> uh, I post, can,
1: I can make an attempt. <laughs>
0: Okay. Okay, OK, if you're hearing this right now, thank you, Matt.
2: (laughs) So 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 the thing is, you know, you'll have, you know, either too close to call or too early to call. My suspect you know, I suspect that we'll have a whole lot of too early to calls. But um, this is mostly important in swing states. And and the thing about vote by mail here is that, well, first of all, it's kind of a clusterfuck in terms of, um, you know, one, when the states start processing uh, uh, the ballots. Well, so so let's start from the beginning. Um, there are now a, a host of states, but none that are super important, except for maybe Texas, uh, that do not allow, uh, um, you know, COVID, COVID-19 to be a, an excuse for absentee voting. Uh, but in terms of when these votes are processed... You know, it really it really varies by state, and so some states like Colorado will start counting and processing you know well ahead of time, and that's mostly because they they basically do universal mail-in voting anyway. Um, whereas in other states, you know, it's 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 a lot more um, uh, it's a lot more fraught. For example, um, in the state of New York, uh, you know, for one, mail-in ballots. Um, can only start being processed on election day, and that means signature verification. You know, all all of these steps that are that are taken to basically verify that that the person a only voted once, and and b um, is the person that they're um, that they're claiming to be. And then the count in New York can only start after the polls close, and so that's why, particularly New York and California. Uh, I think will be huge. Um, um, we'll, we'll, we'll take a long time to counter their, their votes. Yeah, but we know how the reason going. why it doesn't. Yeah. So, so the reason why if I'm wrong, Florida,
0: matter. Florida, though, also does the same thing. So we may have an even bigger problem in Florida.
2: Well, well, the thing is, Florida historically has actually been quite good um, okay. at, at uh, processing vote by mail now obviously this could all be wrong because of the the sheer volume that right. we're getting but but in but in Florida you know um you know the the signature verification process can begin 22 days before election day so that means that you'll most likely have a whole lot of verified ballots that are that are stowed away securely uh that are then after the polls close being counted very rapidly by machines okay so so most likely Florida, I don't expect Florida to be a huge problem, actually. Um, the states that I'm sort of most worried about um, is, for example, Ohio, um, that allows, uh, let's see here, you know. The thing about, you know, uh, mail-in ballots is that sometimes they'll they might be delayed and some states allow uh, delayed votes to be counted so long as they were postmarked on or before Election Day. Uh, This also varies by state states like Louisiana, um, for example, will only allow um, uh, uh, ballots that arrive on time and have been postmarked uh, the day before Election Day or before then. Now, you know, Ohio might see, you know, a delay up to 10 days uh, and that's already in the statute. So so even absent, you know, this this type of huge. Uh, volume that we're about to see, Ohio could potentially be a problem. Uh, Whereas, uh, you know, by and large, I think what you're going to see is that the state by state regulations on this are going to to be quite important. But but given the volume, I think you're going to see a delay overall. I think you'll see enough data on election night uh, to call certain extremely safe states, right? Um, whereas a whole host of other states are going to be too early to call. Uh, and that probably will include Florida and will include, um, you know, a whole other, you know, host of uh, too close to call states. Now, so, so, so here's where I'm, I'm getting to with this. We most likely will not have the networks uh, declare a winner on election night or even the day after the election. It might take a few days for the networks to catch up ruin my favorite that's, holiday uh well uh, or <laughs> not just a holiday it. maybe it just extended it so you'll get a full week where you can <laughs> well, <laughs> i can be an election um and but the thing is i think we will be able to see key insights on election night and and uh, particularly in florida particularly in states that are quite efficient when it comes to, to vote by mail. And, and that particularly includes even blue states, Colorado, Oregon, and Washington. Um, you know, Oregon, Washington, and Colorado um, already basically have universal vote by mail already. And so they they already know how to do this. And the thing is, even though those are blue states, we will be able to see trends um, out of both exit polling and also how you know, certain, uh, precincts voted and we'll be able to infer based off of the data that's already in, uh, sort of where this is going. And particularly in Florida, I mean, Florida is quite quick at this. And even though you might not get an official call, you will be able to see trends, um, that point in either direction. And okay. So you
0: don't think, you don't think doom and gloom will have no idea who the Victor is until like December. You think that we may see some trends that indicate certain things on election
2: night or yeah, think, or
0: shortly thereafter
2: yeah and, and i and i think that um and obviously there will be a a, a whole there will be pandemonium on twitter and and you know oh, the discourse um, is going to be insane
0: insane
2: but, like it's just going to be nuts absolutely but if you actually you know delve down and look at the actual data that's coming in i think you'll be able to get a solid um understanding of where it's going and if it's um a a relatively comfortable Biden victory um then you'll be able to probably make that out on election night. Um, Matt, I have a
0: question. That- I have yeah, I think you're right Ben. If 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 Biden's up by 6 points before the mail-in ballots are counted in Texas, I think you're all set. <laughs> um, but uh question for you Matt. Yeah. Let's get cynical here for a moment. Sure. Um there has proven to be a whole host of issues with mail-in voting, not on the fraud side. The fraud issue is not a real
1: issue. You mean they didn't find a, like a box of ballots in like Debbie Washerman Schultz's trunk that they just counted? <laughs>
0: well, look, there, a was a, there was a coordinated voter fraud effort in North Carolina run by the Republicans that was sussed out, prosecuted, and con- in, in got convictions for. Um, just a quick, quick tally here um, from the Heritage Foundation. Uh, their their uh, database reports approximately twelve hundred allegations of photo fraud, fraud, for which there were eleven hundred criminal convictions since two thousand. Of those twelve hundred of, of those um of those twelve hundred allegations, only two hundred and four of those allegations have involved mail in ballots. Only two hundred and four allegations in twenty years. Okay, and of those uh eleven hundred convictions, there have only been one hundred and forty three convictions for mail in ballot fraud. And that is that take into account that there have been roughly 250 million mail-in ballots cast over those two decades. It's just not the the fraud argument is bunk, but there are huge issues with the potential for people mailing in, you know, as Ben detailed mailing in ballots, not on time, not having a stamp, not having a signature and having their ballots thrown away. So given those issues with mail-in balloting, as I said, we're going to get cynical. Which candidates does that help?
1: Uh, I don't know. I'm going to be honest, I think most Republicans right now, from what I've talked to, um, this is completely anecdotal, they are not looking forward to mail-in voting. Most of them are going to go try to vote in person uh, because they don't, again, the mail-in voter fraud uh, conspiracy, uh, whatever you want to call it, the idea that this can be tampered with more easily in the eyes of Republicans or some Republicans is going to not encourage them to vote by mail. They're going to try to go vote in person if at all possible. And so what you're going to see is probably in disenfranchisement of Democrats, if there is any problem with mail-in voting, like if they're shredding ballots because, you know, it was improperly signed or improperly stamped, or, you know, if they're if they're picky with it, um, you know, who knows? So I think that's where it's going to be. I think most Republicans are going to try to vote in person because that's you know, the Trump campaign and Republicans in general. You watch Fox News and everyone's screaming with their hair on fire about how mail-in elections are going to be totally fraudulent and you know run by the Democratic Party because they got boxes and boxes of ballots that they just you know, yeah, you know, they used all <laughs> they the dead people up. on the voter rolls to uh, vote. With boxes and boxes of They balance. had
0: illegals vote for dead people, actually. That's what the DNC does right. every election year. Right. I want to be even more cynical than you, okay? Okay. Surprise. I think that this actually comes out to be a wash, because I do think it does hurt the Democrats to an extent, Is in this, for the same reasons that you detail. Yep. But, what separates the Republican Party from the Democratic Party in terms of demographics? The Republican Party is older. Yeah. Okay? And- Who has Trump seen a significant decline uh, in uh, support among
3: older, older generations? Yes. Mm -hmm.
0: Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to pull the lever for Biden, but it does mean that they're taking the coronavirus much more seriously than the president is. And they're going to stay home and they're going to stay home and they're going to mail in their ballots. So while I think that the Democrats are going to be hurt by this, I think Biden is going to get, you know. Uh, maybe not run up the cities as much as possible as much as he could i think that in swing states your floridas your are pennsylvania florida has a very Ohio's, large elderly population especially florida you're going to see a dramatic dramatic decrease in voter turnout among older republicans uh if uh, assuming that they you know were the were just to mail in their ballots and have them accepted because a lot of those ballots are not going to be accepted. Interesting. Mm. Ben, do you have a take on this? You know, it,
2: I, I, think, I think it mostly depends on um, the, the speed at which um, ballots are, are processed and also sent in the mail. And it depends on sort of when in the cycle people vote. Um, if people vote earlier on, then, you know, there's a higher chance that obviously... Uh, They'll get counted. It it there's there's a whole lot of uncertainty here. I think uh, I don't no kidding. (laughs) I don't I don't but I don't buy the narrative that uh, the vote by mail you know favors either party. I think um, no empirically it doesn't. You know you know yeah. So so it really depends on how the postal service um, holds up under this and whether or not. You know, further you know, down the line, you'll have uh, Trump basically uh, trying to, to do some funny business with the, with the Postal Service, which is, it seems to be a fear um, in, in certain circles anyway. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think I, I'm a little bit optimistic in terms of, um, uh, you know, I, I, I think most states will do just fine processing ballots um just because it's already a mechanism that's in place. And I think that most states, you know, uh regardless of the sort of media uh attention that's being put on this, either do or should um basically just get ready for what's coming. You know, so that so so the most prudent thing to do is basically just pass funding right away. And and make sure that this is done in an orderly way, and stop you know bickering about it because totally agree. Because at the end of the day, you know, um, well, insofar as there's sort of a partisan split in terms of whether people take this seriously, you know, the pandemic, you know, you might see a difference, you know, uh, between in-person votes and uh, and votes by mail, but. But, you know, I, I I think it's all sort of is going to balance out. And so we'll have to see, you know, if states um either, you know, pass extraordinary laws to sort of allow for ballots coming in late if they're postmarked by the right date. We just don't know at this point. But what I do know is that uh, it's much better for this country if everybody just gets on the same team and, and, and goes, hey, let's. Let's actually just do this. Um, You know, there's a pandemic going on. This year is going to be different. But uh, but this idea that this country is so disordered that that it's not possible. I just don't buy that. But it's going to it's going to take some more. um, It's certainly going to take some more work and also some more funding. So
0: got it. I totally agree. I've been saying it since March. You guys can listen back to the tape. I've been saying since March that this is going to be an inevitable thing that's going to happen. And we need to pass immediate funding because these states aren't going to be prepared. Do we put the I podcast on
1: actual tapes? I didn't know that yeah, was a thing. You
0: can. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, I record it with my recorder. Yeah, we have, we have recorder, magnetic actually.
1: tapes and we wind them up. Yep. Okay. And we
0: film this. We film this in uh, in Super 8, but we just okay. haven't figured out how to put it online yet. Gotcha. So,
1: okay. Yeah, this is actually it, new. new to be,
0: me. Yeah, it's going to be the archives. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> all right. So, uh, good conversation on that, gentlemen. I have a quick, um, I have a quick fun segment to, to end us off with here. Little well, impromptu fun. fun segment.
1: Fun is off. Fun,
0: no fun to be had. <laughs> wow. Well, I was I thinking mean, about this the other day. <laughs> All right, I was thinking about this the other day. What is one thing that you've uh, found out that you really enjoy during this pandemic? What's one food that you found out that you really enjoyed during this pandemic that you didn't really understand that you enjoyed before? And what is one either genre, artist, or song of music, genre of music to artist or song that you've come to enjoy during this pandemic? Let's start with activity. Um, Who wants to go first? Something that you've enjoyed during this.
1: Um, So I guess I wouldn't say it's, it's new, but I've definitely gotten a lot more reading done. Uh I think that that has been probably the biggest thing that has come out of this pandemic uh, and being at home is that my reading amount has gone way up and I'm basically you know we're we're in August and I'm basically at the amount of books finished that I had finished for all of last year. Um so bravo that was uh that's pretty good and um the only reason I don't have more than I do right now is because I'm working full time and so my my free time starting in May, went down, so I had a little bit less time to read. But, either way, uh, still very productive.
2: Ben? Well, uh, I mean, I've had a rocky road to traverse over the course yes, of the you pandemic, have. with, uh, <laughs> with uh, uh, you know, a whole bunch of concerns sort of coming down at once. Um, but I think, in terms of activity, I have gotten more into meditation. Um, and, and basically, hmm. you know, the way that I've done it is... is you know, i' I've, I've used some apps and stuff like that and sort of to to keep to 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 get me going um but it, basically the time that I'd otherwise spend you know either commuting or uh you know uh, basically getting around um whereas now sort of that's not possible, I've sort of spent that time instead um to meditate and sort of um uh, you know just simple yoga breathing exercises that sort of thing. And it's it's done wonders in terms of just uh, calming me down with if there's a stressful situation. I, I highly recommend it. I think it's it's very good for um, your mental and physical health altogether. Um, and so and so that's something that that I've actually uh, managed to get more much more into now that there's uh, more sort of staying home time. And, and so that's been uh, quite good for me. How about you, Nick? All right. So uh, this may be a little weird. So bear with me. I've
0: really found out that I really like to eat like a good meal by myself. I don't know why it is. I I thoroughly enjoy eating like eating eating meals with other people, but I also equally enjoy just going out on a you know a little drive by myself to to a place bringing a magazine or you know having a podcast or some music ready to go and just just you
1: call me old and you do this.
2: I
0: yeah this isn't that old. That's not really no, an old nice. person thing. I do
2: it all the time. What yeah, I really about?
0: like just kind of, you know, for that's that's where I wind down. Like I've been, you know, you you, you just cooped up in the chicken coop a, a lot of the time now cuz you know, I've had, I've had some friends that uh, are are getting their their parents are getting a little bit more stringent with things because things are getting a little precarious in Massachusetts, especially in my area. But um I just really like going and for a little drive, you know, maybe You know, half an hour away and, you know, sitting in the parking lot or, you know, sitting in the car, listening to some music, AC on or windows down by myself, just decompressing, enjoying some food, um, reading a little bit and then heading back. So that is that has been my pandemic um, uh, activity that I've discovered that I really like, um, which is, you know, it's odd, but uh, it's 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 what I like. All right. Uh, Food. Or drink that you've discovered that you really like during this time. Um Ben,
2: seems like you're chomping at the bit. Gin and tonics. I've, oh, I've yes. really cultivated my love of gin and tonics. So good. Okay. Um, so <laughs> damn good. <laughs> uh, and, and, and actually just cooking in general, I, I I find that I have more time to do it. Um and and so what I'll do is I'll first I'll make a really nice gin and tonic with like, you know, with actual, you know, with fruit in it as well, you know, wines, lemons. Uh, maybe you know some pineapple that that sort of thing. You know, make it real fruity. You know, that's how I like it. Um, and uh, and and so I'll do that, and I'll I'll have some refills as I'm you know cooking and stuff, and just doing this by myself. It's it's very nice, listening to some music. Um, and um, uh, you know, I've I've well, I made um, I learned how to make like restaurant. Quality fajitas. Ooh, which has been okay. fantastic. So, um, I mean, I already love to cook. So, I, I cook a whole bunch of different things. Um, but uh, I think my main discovery is sort of like I I, I, I was missing fajitas for the longest time. Um, when everything was closed down. And they're not really like a food that you can order that well. You know, it goes sort of cold and stale quite quickly. Right, you right. Know, you got to the make them. Over. You need them hot. Um, and so... And so yeah, and so I just uh, looked up some recipes. I did my w- sort of own spin on it, and uh, and got them sizzling hot, and and they're really good. So, <laughs> Chef Ben, um, if you don't mind, Matt, I'd like to go first. Unacceptable. You go. go ahead. Okay.
0: Uh, <laughs> odd thing that I've discovered that I liked. There's this uh, brand of San Pellegrino water called Asenza. It's like uh, it's it's more like a seltzer than their soda. You know the the San Pellegrino that has yeah. a really big punch um Mm. they have a black cherry flavor that is just really refreshing uh so san pellegrino asenza is quite nice um and also uh i've i've never really been i've always been somebody that likes like cold cuts hot and i've just out of necessity because uh, when you know everybody's working um you kind of have to make your own lunch um Mm uh, it's, I've, I've rediscovered that cold cuts are actually pretty darn good when you get some nice bread, you know, some deli mustard or yellow mustard, some pickles, good cheese, good, uh, good meat. You know, I, I, I tend to like the not healthy stuff like salami, but that's just, you know, Italian heritage, but I do like a nice, you know, ham or turkey too. Um, little leaf lettuce. Uh, so, uh, you know, pair that with some grapes. Um, so cold cuts in San Pellegrino Asenza. Um, I'm not a big, uh, you know, seltzer guy, but that's a, that's a good one. It's quite nice and refreshing and you can, you can tell it's mineral water, um, as well. So maybe, maybe a little too aristocratic there, Matt, you know,
2: I, I, I love just as an aside, just on that. Um, I've, I've actually gotten very much into seltzers and seltzers are very good. good. Um, I don't like seltzers, but I really like that. I I've,
0: I've rediscovered that. I like, like really, really, really like vanilla coke which is not good but it is it is fantastic vanilla so, coke is
1: very good um yeah. but yeah so for me during quarantine i've actually discovered rediscovered uh the joy of a good breakfast so i'm not mm. usually someone who eats breakfast i kind of just you know might have a small bowl of cereal or you know like a granola bar or something didn't i never really a big breakfast guy uh more out of laziness because i just sleep in and then just you know <laughs> Get up to the last possible minute where I could just take a shower and head to class uh, at school, which was not a good habit, but um, a habit that I formed. So during quarantine, I'm like, oh, I got a little bit more time. Um, and recently just been I've been eating an omelet like every day because uh, you're turning
0: into your dad. I am
1: turning into my, I'm turning into <laughs> my dad. Uh, he eats an omelet every day. And then I started eating scrambled eggs every day. Uh, and then that morphed into an omelet. So now I eat an omelet every day with two pieces of toast. And um, as far as drinks go, I've discovered the joy of French press coffee uh, in between the breaks while we were recording the first segment. And this segment, uh, I was telling Ben, went to Ikea, got an $8 French press, and it is head and shoulders superior to drip coffee. Drip coffee sucks. I, that's why I never drank coffee at my house. I don't like it. Um, the only times I would drink it is if I could go to Dunks and put, like, like basically a bucket of sugar, like, of the syrup and the sugars in it. Because it's not coffee at that point. It's just chocolate milk. Um, so, <laughs> French press coffee is excellent. I can drink it black. Uh, and it's good, depending on the, the beans I use. And, uh, yeah, it's really good. French press coffee. Highly recommend.
0: Getting into coffee, I have to say. Getting into coffee... Is the most predictable thing you've ever done in your life. Like that is just right up your alley. It's European. <laughs> it's it, it gives you this uh, veneer of being wealthy. I,
1: mean, <laughs> I have an eight dollar French, French press. press from IKEA. It cost eight dollars. Like it. I, I'm. I'm kidding, <laughs> it's not wealthy. I'm kidding. But, uh, I'm kidding. Uh, but it I, does I, make I, you I'm seem more Bobby European.
3: Myself.
1: If yeah. yeah, if you post a photo of like a nicely cooked omelet with two pieces of toast, a small glass of orange juice, and a French press coffee with a mug. Of coffee in it people will think you're a uh, fancy or something
0: well they don't know what type of coffee's in there it's french pressed
1: well, exactly. um, i'm just saying if you have the french press in the picture like with oh the mug, yeah they, it like does people, it does raise the like, fancy oh, level he's so fancy it's, it's, it's like no it's, it's sophisticated I, like, you boil an water an on, a, on the stove and you pop <laughs> it in the in the eight dollar french press like it's not anything super fancy and i highly recommend if you are into coffee if you like drip coffee Get a French press just try it out. It's it you can go to IKEA get one for 8 bucks.
0: Beautiful. Okay, on to music. Something that you've uh rediscovered, discovered that you really like. For me, it has been um British punk rock Very and nice. uh the Electric Light Orchestra.
1: Oh, yeah, I, that's I've, great. Yeah,
0: I have I've, I've yeah. really discovered got into that. And Jeff uh, Lynne, kind of love him. So, yeah, I mean, that's just I I've, I've been working remotely from home. Doing a lot of research and and writing and putting on uh, some stuff that makes you, um, you know, a little bit uh, hyper is is good. It makes you actually more focused, in my opinion. Um, And ELO is just unbelievable, in my opinion. They have a good range and variety of songs as well. Um, So British punk rock, Electric Light Orchestra. uh, Yeah. So
2: um, I think Ben. Yeah, I mean I've I've sort of uh just intensified my love of music as as it were, you know, already, um but I, I have gotten a little bit more um into classical music sometimes. Um yep. because I've had more time for it and it, it's also it piggybacks off my uh meditation. Um and uh Who's and your so go-to composer? Well, I mean, that's it depends on your mood, man. I mean, Beethoven is good, obviously. And, um, so basic, Ben. So basic, and so basic with Beethoven. Well, I, I, I well, well, of course, but um, you,
0: you can't know, go I, wrong this, with Beethoven. You can't go, but
2: but but here's the thing, and so my guilty pleasure, not really guilty pleasure, but my guilty I really pleasure. like Handel. I really like Handel, and I really like um uh Baroque music. So um, you know, it has a regal quality over it. Obviously, yep. he was he was you know, uh King George's um composer. So uh comes full circle with my name, obviously. Uh what's the, Royal What's anthem. the
0: the piano it's the it's uh Matt you help me here. Uh, what is the instrument that it, it instead of hammering the strings it plucks chord. the string. Harpsichord. harpsichord, yeah. A lot of harpsichord in Baroque music and it's it yes. is it is soothing sometimes. You're you're right. Yeah uh,
2: and then and then other times I like jazz. A lot, and so Ooh. and different kinds of jazz. So listen to like a lot of John on um, Coltrane and a lot of uh, Pat Metheny as well, actually, which is like sort of newer, sort of more fusion. Uh, but Pat Metheny great. So jazz and uh, classical music. Got to love it. I'm
0: a Vivaldi guy myself. I do like Vivaldi Vivaldi's very much.
2: great. Yeah. Vivaldi's
0: fantastic.
1: Matt. Very nice. So I've actually been getting into a uh, different kind of classical music, classical guitar. Uh, very nice, Ooh. a little bit of Spanish flair. Um, so the two my the two composers I've been listening to a lot, or I guess not, kind of composers slash players, uh, John Williams, not the composer of like movie scores. This is a different John Williams. Uh, he's a classical guitar player, um, and uh, Paco de Lucia. He's a a Spaniard. Paco. He's uh excellent, probably one of the greatest guitar players to ever live. Um. So great, two you know, great guitar players. I've also been listening to, uh, some some more like indie country. Uh, it's not the pop stuff. Like actually, like genuinely good country that it, you probably wouldn't hear on the radio. Uh, a good band for that is Flatland Cavalry. Um, I think they're from Oklahoma, but uh, that's a very good band. Uh, indie. Collecting. I didn't know
0: indie country was a genre. Uh,
1: oh, there is a very deep treasure trove of, uh, like, good country music. Uh, when yeah. you when you kind of do you just describe it, it as indie? Uh, it, it's kind of indie. I don't really know if they're with a the label or not. Um, that's kind it's of it's probably just it. It. it's
0: probably just not pop. Is the best it, way of it's saying it's
1: not. It. It's definitely not mm-hmm. pop. I think they're I think they're described as like either Texas country or red dirt country. Um, as like one of red sub- dirt like sub- Georgia, <laughs> uh, Oklahoma. Um, <laughs> oh, Alabama too. Yeah. Um, no, Oklahoma. That's where they're from. It's Oklahoma, okay. like North Texas and Oklahoma is red dirt
0: okay well um, i thought i thought red dirt because the dirt in like georgia yeah, 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 yeah
1: clay like virginia has that as well but no for some reason i don't know don't ask me why it's called that i don't know um <laughs> okay. but yeah i've been getting really into that as well um so yeah just some some kind of discovering some new music as well and just going back into some old stuff so very uh very nice musical time during pandemic
0: Yeah. All right. So, uh, gentlemen, that's, that about wraps up the show. Uh, silver linings from the pandemic is that we've all kind of figured some stuff out. And, you know, I, I think it has been, it's sort of a period where we've all kind of taken stock of of where we're at because we have nothing else to do. It was a
1: good way. It was very revealing. Like, you know, where are you at in life? Where are you at? Like in your own personal progression?
2: And the good thing too, is that it, it, you know, paradoxically it, it provides some space to mm-hmm. to sort of, like you said, take stock, but also, um, I don't want to say it's an excuse, but it's it's sort of um, the pressure is a little off as well. Um, in so far as sort of nobody's going to hold against you, um, sort of anything that you do over the next couple of years, just because of how disrupted it's it's been, and so if there's any gaps in sort of education or a resume or whatever it might be, uh I think most people are going to end up looking back on that and going like, you know what? Um It would be quite forgiving about um, people's situations. Anyway. Right. So, it's oh, restricting one,
0: yet freeing at the same time.
1: One more band, yeah. just really quick. Just going to drop one more fun band in there. Wolfpack. It's kind of like a funk, modern funk Wolfpack band. Wolfpack is fantastic. Wolfpack is a fantastic band. Very fun. Uh Love them. Yeah, so go listen to them as well.
0: All right. I... Uh, do us a favor, follow us on social media, Instagram and Twitter at AHD Pod. Follow me on Twitter at Nick Samarco, N I C K S A M M A R C O. Follow Matt at Matt T R Lewis and Ben at B E N E D I C T L U C I U S on Twitter. Benedict um, Lucius. Give us, a, give us, you know, whatever it is a so follow, subscribe, a like. Angry uh, comments. Y- no angry leave comments. us a nice review <laughs> if, you, if you could on. Uh, on, on itunes apple podcast whatever the hell it's called um i grew up in the ipod area so uh, ipod era so it's itunes to me it's but it's apple podcast well. now um uh, the google play store google podcasts uh, uh stitcher. stitcher spotify um anywhere that you get your podcasts we're on it except for soundcloud because soundcloud is for mobile rappers and we will talk to you all next week